0: Thanks for that, man. That was a real blessing to hear that. So tonight, I've got the um, privilege of being able. Um, it's been a real um, blessing to have the Parry's back with us, and um, Phil's been a Phil's been a big encouragement. He sends texts, and he's, you know, he tells me he's praying for me and things like that. And tonight, I was out in the back there, and he came in to pray, and um, in front of me there was these Sunday school songs, you know, Jesus loves me and that type of stuff, and he walks in and he's like, oh, your sermon notes, eh? So, (laughs) like, yeah, thanks for that encouragement, bro, but anyway, (laughs) it's a real blessing to have the parries back, and um, if you turn to uh, John chapter 2, please, tonight I want to talk on um, the first miracle of Jesus and just some lessons that um, hopefully we can glean from John chapter 2. So I'll read uh, now John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, Do it. And there were set there six waterpots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him let me just now pray heavenly father thank you for tonight lord we thank you for this opportunity that we've already had to sing songs of praise to you lord and give of our tithes and offerings we pray now lord that you'd help me during this um message i pray father that i just say the things that you once said and that it would be help to the people here lord we pray these things in jesus name amen So we see there, straight away, we see the actual uh, reason Jesus performed this miracle. In verse 11 there it says, It was to manifest forth his glory and so that his disciples would believe on him. So that was the main reason we see there that he did this miracle. And in fact, the Gospel of John was, was most likely the last of the Gospels that was written. It was written towards the close of that first century by the Apostle John for the purpose of convincing people that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him they might have life and we see this at the end of the book it said written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name so without a doubt there's a definite purpose here in John's mind when he wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he also wrote it to counteract some of the false concepts uh, that that had developed concerning Jesus Christ as a lot of heresy had developed in that first century And so, with the Gospel of John, it gives us Jesus' first miracle, and we get some really beneficial principles that hopefully we can glean from here. Whenever you dig into a story of Jesus in the Bible or one of his parables, there's always a wealth of blessings to be found therein. You know, this Bible, this book, it's changed my life. Um, And no matter how many times I read it, the effect of it just gets stronger and stronger in my life, and it's a real blessing. And I've learnt more about Jesus just by preparing this message, and I think that's the biggest benefit for me, is that I get to learn more when I get to prepare a message. This part of it I never like. I don't even like doing the offering, so (laughs) delivering a sermon is not not my thing. But um, the benefit I get is actually the study and the preparation for it. Um, And I've learnt more through preparing this message. So there's four things that I want to share that stood out in this miracle that I want to share tonight. So the first thing... Impossible situations become better than we ever thought possible with Jesus. Okay? Weddings are happy occasions. When we stay true to the biblical definition and the standard of marriage, being a union of one man and one woman, those of us who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ can rejoice when the Lord brings two people together. And that's what was happening here. In those days, it would have been a disaster to run out of wine at a wedding. Everyone involved in the preparation of the wedding would look bad because hospitality was of utmost importance in those days. It was extremely important, especially in such an important um, event like a wedding in those days. In the ancient Near East, there's a strong element of a reciprocation between parties, between the two families that were coming together in the marriage. And for example, it was actually possible to take legal action in certain circumstances against a man who had failed to provide appropriate uh, wedding gift. It means that when the supply of wine failed, it was more than just a social embarrassment for the bridegroom. The bridegroom and his family may well have become, um, there might have been some financial liability, a heavy financial payment that would have to be settled with the other family because of this, because of the embarrassment that it would have caused. Thankfully, Jesus was invited to this wedding and Mary knew that there was more to Jesus. After receiving a mild rebuke from Jesus because her request was untimely, Jesus still honoured his mother and once she realised that he was going to do something, she gave instructions to those servants that changed everything. It says in John 2.5, His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And as the servants did exactly what Jesus told them to do, the ordinary became extraordinary. And not only just extraordinarily, it became an abundance of extraordinary. More was supplied than could ever be used at that occasion. Her instructions to the servants is the one instruction we must live by today. If you will heed Mary's advice, whatsoever he saith, do it, um, you will guarantee you will be in his will with life-changing benefits. What is going on in your life right now that you look at and it just seems impossible? What things are keeping you up at night? What things immediately bring tears to your eyes and you're overwhelmed by them? What are you facing that just seems impossible? Tonight, perhaps you're dealing with marriage problems or other relationship issues that are very grieving to you. Perhaps you have financial issues and debt build up that causes great worry for you. Loneliness might be afflicting you with no one seeming to understand and there's no end in sight. You may even have a lack of direction with no hope to break that cycle. You could have health issues with a very bleak outlook or burdens from work or ministry that are just overwhelming and causing you a lot of distress. Perhaps you've just got a broken heart that just never seems to heal or anything else that only a miracle will rectify. And we know that Jesus rectified this impossible situation. And Mary had the right idea to consult Jesus. We need to do the same thing with our impossible situations. He knows and he understands. Hebrews 4:15 and 16 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Perhaps your circumstance won't change, but God promises to give you grace so you can cope with that circumstance. And that's something that we need to go to Jesus for. He will provide that grace. The key is turning to Jesus to get our issues sorted out and doing exactly what he says, just like Mary told those servants, whatsoever he saith, do it. And we've got clear instructions in the Bible what we need to do. All of the instructions are found there. It's up to us to search the scriptures, find them and apply them in our lives. By not doing this, by not applying these scriptures that God so readily gives us, we become like a man in 1829 named George Wilson, who was arrested for robbery and murder in a US mail heist. He was tried, convicted and sentenced to death by hanging. Some friends intervened on his behalf and were able to obtain his pardon from President Andrew Jackson. But when told of this, Wilson refused the pardon, saying he wanted to die. The sheriff didn't know what to do. How do you execute a man who has been officially pardoned? So an appeal was made to the president who turned the perplexed matter over to the US Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Marshall gave this ruling. A pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends on its acceptance by the person implicated. Anyone under the sentence of death would hardly be expected to refuse a pardon, but if it is refused, it's no pardon. Thus George Wilson was executed while his signed pardon lay on the sheriff's desk. It's in the same way that Jesus offers his help to all our situations. He offers that gift to every one of us. And a gift that not only provides a pardon from eternal condemnation, but offers so much more. However, this gift of Christ must be personally appropriated to be personally beneficial. We must learn and apply the... right. point number two. As servants, we just need to obey Jesus. So you look at verse 7 and 8 there. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. These servants did their job. They were there for the whole time and saw the whole event unfold before them. They would have seen the wine stocks dwindling and then finally run out. They would have heard Mary ask Jesus to do something about it. In obedience, the servants did what they could. They could, fill the with pour, they could fill the pots with water, which they did. They could take that water-filled pot to the governor, which they did. They could draw it out, which they could. And that would have been a bit of a risk because from far as they knew that there was water in that pot and when Jesus told them to draw them out, they were just thinking they were going to draw out water. They had no idea what was going to happen. Remember, this is the first miracle of Jesus. It wasn't like he just witnessed him feed the 5,000 or raise someone from the dead. This would have taken a bit of a step of faith. You know, if, if we have a fellowship lunch here and we run out of drinks at the fellowship lunch and um, Brother Andrew tells me to fill a water bottle and then pour it out, there's no way Coke's going to come out of that bottle. <laughs> so um, it was a step of faith for these servants to do that. And then you look at verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. So when Jesus asked them to do something, they obeyed. And as a result of that, they got to witness firsthand the very first miracle that Jesus performed. When we're obedient to Jesus today, we get to witness miracles too. We get to see these same things. When we're obedient in things like the Great Commission, when Jesus goes, tells us to tell the others. When he commands us to pray for more labourers to work in the fields. When he um, tells us to love others, when he tells us to obey him, when he tells us to follow him with no looking back, when you do these things, you will see miracles in your life and in the lives of other people. We simply need to be obedient servants and he will perform the miracle. The things that we can't do, he will, as long as we're obedient on our part. We We are blessed by seeing the wonderful works of God in others. Once we see these wonderful life-changing events, we will want to tell others even more. It says in 1 Peter 3:15, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Christ did the impossible because the servants were obedient. This miracle doesn't happen without that obedience of the servants. Just like the miracles in our lives, starting with salvation, don't happen unless obedient obedient servants tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple obedience is very underrated today in today's society. But to God, obedience is the very first step for him to be able to use you. And this starts early as a child, where obedience to authorities is all that's commanded of a child then that obedience flows through to adulthood where God can bless the orderly, disciplined, obedient soul. If you want to see a miracle today, be obedient and go tell someone what Christ has done for you. And if they receive that gift of salvation, you watch a miracle of a changed life happen before your eyes. A life that was dead in sin and in bondage to the devil can be freed into a new creature of Jesus Christ. As servants, we just need to obey. third point <clears throat> when you've run out and are empty of yourself Jesus will fill you with something much better in verse 7 there we see Jesus saith unto them fill the water pots with water and they fill them up to the brim and he saith unto them draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was so I'll just stop there it's a wonderful thing that you only understand once you're truly saved. When you come to the end of yourself and allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, things will start to change and be better in your life. We must be like the prodigal son and realise that we're in the pig pen, in total despondence and determined to seek the Father again. It says in Luke 15, 16, 18, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Before we are saved, even our very best is nowhere near good enough or even close to what Jesus can create in us. When you get saved and get to partake of his wine, he will make you to be the very best version of yourself possible. And it's all his work and all his miraculous doing. Therefore, if any, man be a, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 18. When we get saved or when we turn back from our backsliding, we trade in our old things that are worthless for a heavenly mansion with golden streets. We trade in our wretched lives for a new forgiven one with eternal hope. Christ replaces our hurts and wounds with new healing. Christ replaces our wretched sin with loving forgiveness. Jesus replaces our bitter despondency with everlasting hope. And Christ replaces our vile self-will with his holy will. We just have to be willing and obedient to die to ourselves, to allow Jesus to work through us, to change us as required, to equip us and sanctify us continually, and the results will be much fruit in your life. This first step, though, is to die to self. John chapter 12, 24 and 25 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto, eternal, unto life eternal. Just like the seed that has died and is planted into the ground, so we need to die to self, humble ourselves, being brought down to ground level, be willing to journey alone if necessary. And just like that seed is alone in the dirt, after Christ performs his miracle in our life, we can spring up and produce fruit to his glory. Whatever you have in your life affecting you that needs to die, you must allow it to. It could be pride stopping you from acting on advice, which will give you freedom, or it could be bitterness stopping you from forgiving others or even yourself. You might have an issue with the love of money. Or perhaps it's just you love yourself too much. Perhaps you love your pleasures. Perhaps there's even good things that are before God in your life that are idols. It could be your family that you put in front of God. You have to die to self and your desires if you want God to work in you and bring forth new fruit. Empty yourself so you can be filled with Jesus. The fourth point is when Jesus performs a miracle in you, Others will see the difference. Look at verse 9, it says, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. You will not be able to hide or contain the changes in your life once Jesus has performed the miracle of salvation in your life. You will be seen in a new light by others as the spiritual gifts that God imparts to you on salvation becomes fruitful and they sprout into works that glorify God and edify the other saints. Just like this governor who questioned the bridegroom, people will look and wonder about the changes in your life. There is no greater miracle today than a truly saved person who has changed from a wicked sinner to a soul who now lives glorifying the Lord. You may never know the impact your life may have on another person. Your faithfulness during a difficulty, your generosity during a hardship, your warm fellowship during someone's loneliness, all these can be used to draw others to the Lord. If you're just faithful during you know, a very, very hard trial, that will speak volumes about your walk with the Lord. That will be far more than you can ever get up here and speak about, just faithfulness in your life. <clears throat> in the mid-1800s, as a teenager in Scotland, William Mackay left home to go to college. His mother was greatly concerned about his spiritual life, so she gave him a Bible and printed a verse of Scripture on the first page. That's where she also wrote William's name. But her son soon discovered that college life was a time of endless parties. He spent all the money he could get on partying. One time William wanted more whiskey, so he decided to sell his Bible for money. By God's grace, he got through college and became a doctor in a large hospital. But William still remained very hard-hearted toward God. Here is part of what he later wrote. My dear mother had been a godly woman quite often telling me of the Saviour. And many times I had seen her wrestling in prayer for my salvation, but nothing made a deep impression on me. The older I grew, the more wicked I became. For the God of my mother, I did not care in the least, but rather sought by all means to drive him out of my thoughts. Then one day a seriously injured labourer was brought into the hospital. He had fallen from a ladder and his case was hopeless. All we could do was ease the pains of this unfortunate man. He seemed to realise his condition, for he was fully conscious. Have you any relatives whom we could notify, I asked. The patient shook his head. He was alone in the world. His only wish was to see his landlady, because he, owned her small, he owed her a small sum, and he also wished to bid her farewell. He also requested that when his landlady um, came that she bring the book, "'What book?' I questioned. "'Oh, just ask her for the book. She will know,' was his reply. "'After a week of suffering, he died. "'I went to see him on my visits at least once a day, "'and what struck me most was the quiet, happy expression "'which was constantly on his face despite his pain that I knew he was in. "'I knew he was a Christian, "'but I did not care to talk with him about such matters.'" After the man had died, some things about his affairs were to be attended to in my presence. What shall we do with this? asked the nurse, holding up the book in her hand. What kind of book is it? I asked. The Bible of the poor man. As long as he was able to read it, he did so. I took the Bible, and could I trust my eyes? It was actually my own Bible. My name was still written in it, written in my mother's hand. I took the Bible to my room. It had been used frequently. Many pages were loose. Others were torn. Almost every page gave evidence that it had been read very often. Many places were underlined. With a deep sense of shame, I looked upon the book, that precious book. It had given so much comfort and refreshment to that dying man in his last hours, and it had guided him to eternal life so that he had been able to die in peace and happiness. And this book, The Last Gift of My Mother, I had actually sold for a ridiculous price. Several hours later, William Mackay got down on his knees and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour. Later on, he became a preacher and wrote the hymn, Revive Us Again. Others will notice when Christ works in you, just like he noticed in this labourer. Many people tonight find themselves overcome by sins that bring heartache, turmoil, fear and isolation. And what these bondages, what these sins do, they bring bondages into your life um, and it wrecks lives, it wrecks families, it wrecks churches and it can even wreck a country. Today, therapists, doctors, scientists and even Christians, they're trying to find medical or genetic explanations for these sinful bondages. When simply reading our Bible, we know the cause. When a correct biblical diagnosis is made, the real solution can then be applied. Jesus teaches that sin is first found in the heart of a man long before that sin makes its outward manifestation. Mark chapter 7, 20 says, And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which is unrestrained or lewd sexual behavior, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. The simple but obviously powerful answer is the gospel. The death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it is God's provision to help people make lasting biblical change. The application of God's salvation is available to all who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. After you're saved, sanctification is then your goal and the process of that repentant sinner now saved undergoes becoming more and more like Christ. Your greatest goal in life should be, have, should be to have a heart that hungers after the righteousness of Christ. Matthew 5.6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus perfectly lives the example with the characteristics of a man fully controlled by the Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship with the Father, and he points everyone to the Father. Our Lord said, for those who love him and obey his commands, he will ask the Father to give another counsel of the Holy Spirit to be with them. Jesus clearly teaches that those in the world will not accept the spirit of truth because they neither, they neither see him nor know him. However, born again believers in Christ will know him and he will be in them. John 14 says, if ye love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Direct promise from Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps any willing person to make biblical change. He first shows people their need of Christ. Then he imparts Christ's life into repentant sinners at the moment of salvation. From there, he begins the sanctification process through understanding of the Scriptures, and then he empowers people with spiritual gifts to do service for Christ. You must first have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and then be surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leading as he quickens, makes alive God's word in your heart and Jesus is faithful. He promises he will complete this work for you. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident in of this very thing, that he which hath begun the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul taught in Romans that the Holy Spirit's leading in a person's life is one of the evidences of a person's salvation. He wrote in Romans 8:14: For as many are as led by the Spirit of God they are the sons of God. But then he also warns in Romans 8, 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that seeing evidences of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is a sure sign if they're saved or not. Only through the indwelling and empowering of the Holy Spirit can a person make biblical change, which leads to the abundant life found in Christ alone. If you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then you must do that tonight. It's of utmost importance. There is no greater decision that can be made. And if you're saved, but you're living in a way that's grieving to the Holy Spirit, grieving to God, then tonight you must repent and climb out of that pig pen and return to the Father. A life lived for Christ is the best life lived of all. So that's all I've got for tonight, so I'll pray and we'll finish up there. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you've shown us in your word. I'm grateful for your holy word that just helps us and teaches us so much. Thank you for the Holy Spirit which guides us and um, just really empowers us to do more for you. I pray, Lord, that you would just... um, Help us tonight as we um, go out, Lord. Help us to be good witnesses for you. Help us to be able to share the good news of um, Christ with others, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would um, see fit to use us to bring glory to yourself and also to edify one another, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.